Welcome everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all over the world. You can learn more about it by going to our website, traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship here in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now, let's turn our focus to instruction in God's Word. We'll take up a brief consideration over the next two days of the account of Luke 24, where Jesus appears after his resurrection to two of his followers walking along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. The account reveals to us the regular way, still today, in which Christ comes to make himself known to us. That Christ has risen from the dead and that he was seen by many trustworthy individuals. Individuals not easily persuaded, but skeptical at first and seen by them in many places, individually and corporately. This is the solid confidence of every true Christian. Christianity is nothing more than the most ingenious of all religions apart from this fact. But by this fact, we know that Christ indeed is the way, the truth, and the life. Every apologetic of the church finds its ground in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ is risen is the first word of the good news. Now, What we need to ask ourselves is, how does this risen Christ act among us once he comes back to reveal himself to us? What is his first ministry to our souls once we agree upon this wondrous fact, this reality? He's died for us and he's risen from the grave. Well, I think from the story of the two on the way to Emmaus, we may get our answers. And so... Just by way of introduction, let me introduce you to these two men. Let's consider these two men who are leaving Jerusalem and traveling back seven miles or so to their home village. And first, let's understand that they are a part of a broader band of followers of Jesus Christ. They're not among the 11 remaining apostles. These 11 are now back in Jerusalem in hiding, cowering away from the religious authorities fearful that they might come and seek them out just as they've sought out the Lord Jesus and had him destroyed. But, but these two are close to that inner circle, close enough that they know where the disciples are hiding or where the apostles are hiding in Jerusalem. And this very night, they will actually go to that place and find these apostles and translate to them the experience they're about to realize. They are also individuals who are struggling to come to a conclusion in their minds as to who this Jesus was, and they've only gone so far. They say, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now they're certain of that, but they're certain only of that. They mentioned that they had hoped that he would have been the Messiah or Redeemer of Israel. That was what they were hoping for. That wasn't something they were sure of while he was alive, but they were leaning in that direction. But now that he's died, they're leaning the other way altogether. A prophet, yes, like so many others that had come before. But a redeemer, the savior, the Messiah of Israel, well, they had only hoped for that. So they're perplexed. They're sad. They're anxious. They're unsettled. 
by the news in Jerusalem that's come to them only earlier in the day and brought to them and translated to them by the eleven, women have come with a report that the Lord's body is no longer in the tomb, that they have seen or had a vision of angels, and, well, they're not convinced by the word of the women, and that was the prejudice of the day. So here's what we can say about these two. They have a lot of doubts about the Lord Jesus. They followed him, but they've never fully decided upon him. They are or were agnostics without a knowledge, a certain knowledge of who Jesus Christ was up to this very hour. And they are now struggling with profound uncertainty. And yet it is to these two that the Lord Jesus presents himself, to these doubters that Christ meets and makes his argument. So let's make just a brief application at the very beginning of our message. We should be more patient with those who are honest doubters. What critical thinker wouldn't or shouldn't doubt this claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world, and that he's risen from the grave? We should be patient with them. We should understand that these are reasonable questions, and though we be patient with them, we must also know that Christ can speak to them truth just as Christ has relayed truth to these and does relay truth to these two. And let us consider now what it is the truth that Christ wants to relay to them. Let's consider how it is that Christ speaks to them and understand this is how he might speak to doubters and also understand that this is exactly how Christ would meet with and speak to us. Three points this morning. Let's look at the first one. And the first thing we see here is that Christ humbly met them on their way. They say, he talked with us by the way and on the road. This is the risen Christ who, on another occasion, will reveal himself as a resurrected Christ to John. You'll find an expression of this revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. But it's a wholly different experience and a wholly different sensation than these two have on the way to Emmaus. Let me read this passage to you. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Here Christ meets John in his unveiled glory. While the Lord Jesus walked upon the earth, he concealed his divine majesty. But once he is resurrected, he comes before John in holy resurrected power, demonstrating his righteousness and his divinity with an awesome translation. And John writes about it here. Here's what John says. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white as wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. In his right hand, seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. You would think that having conquered sin and death and having returned in all power in holiness 
as the vanquisher of hell itself, that when Christ appeared to these two on the way to Emmaus, he might have come before them more like he appeared to John in this passage, more like he appeared to Paul when he was on his way to Damascus. You might think on this occasion that the Lord Jesus might have appeared to them in a less companionable way, that his presence may have been more in keeping with what we've just read from Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. But that's not the case. The Lord Jesus comes before these two in plainness and in profound humility. The Lord Jesus permits them to look at him as just another man and to engage him and even debate with him and even question his awareness of reality. They stop and they confront his seeming ignorance. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that does not know what has transpired over these last days? As we look at this passage, we have to be amazed, continually amazed at the profound condescension of our Lord Jesus who is willing to meet us when we think that we know what the real story is in our lives, to meet us with our questions and our complaints and our opinions and our arguments, when in reality we are mostly blind to what God is working and what God is doing and what God is planning and what is God is unfolding all around us. And this is exactly how the Lord Jesus meets these two. And actually, this is exactly how the Lord Jesus engages us on a regular basis, so gracious, so kind, and so condescending, and we should never forget that he is exactly what John saw him to be. This is Christ in his unveiled glory. We should never forget that stunning moment, and we should pray that God himself might reveal himself to us in this way at times, that Jesus Christ might come before us, that we might be filled with this sense of holy awe, that we might fall before his feet and be in awe of him, but how gracious and kind he is to us that he doesn't reckon with us day to day in this way. No, he doesn't forget who we are. He doesn't forget what our struggles are. He is the Lord Almighty that John fell before as though he were dead. But we have to see and understand that he still walks with doubters in the way and with those who are struggling with life from day to day and those who think they know what they don't know. Our Lord has risen with all of his sympathies for us still intact ongoing and strong as ever. He's still a friend of sinners. He still looks on us with pity and grace and mercy. He has not, by reason of the resurrection and the ascension, become more remote from us, removed from our struggling humanity. He is not more removed from you or I. He is ever so ready to meet with us in the way and engage us and the deliberations, and the confusions, and the questions, and even our arrogant assumptions engage us from day to day. And we should thank him for that and praise him. Here's the second thing that we should note here. The second thing is that he talked with them. In particular, he instructed them. Today, still, the Lord Jesus wishes to engage our minds and not simply overwhelm our emotions. And... Uh, You can see very clearly in this text that he's guarding against these two being overwhelmed by the excitements of recognizing him so he conceals his identity from them while he engages their minds, while he instructs them. Jesus conceals the force of his identity so that he might first speak to their minds and their understanding and reveal himself to them in that way first. And this is Christ 
first priority always to teach us. We read, he opened the scriptures to them. Let's give a little bit of a context for this account as well. Christ has just gone through the agonies of the cross. Christ has just bore not only the physical torment of the cross, but the greater unimaginable torment of our sins and its just punishment. He has swallowed up all the agonies of an endless hell in our place. After his resurrection, we can understand from Scripture that he went to present the victory that he won for us before his Father in heaven. You'll actually recall that there is a moment in which Mary Magdalene discovers him in the garden and clings to him, and the Lord Jesus tells her not to cling to him because he is still yet to go to the Father. And this was on the very day in which it was the custom of the people of Israel to wave the first fruits before God as a, as a tribute or as a gift to him. And we might understand at this moment, the Lord Jesus will go out from Mary Magdalene and he'll go into the presence of the Father and he'll wave before the Father in heaven the first fruits of his victory in resurrecting for us. The first fruits as the first one who will be resurrected into life eternal. And us being resurrected with him will follow after This is not the best place to end our time together, but do come back tomorrow and we'll see how Christ, who went into hell and went up to heaven, was content to speak of himself from the word we have in our hands. We don't need a vision of heaven or hell to understand and know the life of our Lord. We just need this book. This has been the Bread of Life. Keep the missionaries of Church Partnership Evangelism in your prayers as they work in Ecuador, Cambodia, India, Indonesia, Greece, Bulgaria, around the world to release the body of Christ as his witnesses. To find out more, go to breadoflifeboise.org or traincpe.org. Until the next time, God bless you.